Hello, viewers and listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Slaves to the Algo. That's right, Slaves to the Algo. I'm Suresh Shankar, founder and CEO of Crayon Data, an AI and big data company, a podcaster, and the host of Slaves to the Algo. Slaves to the Algo is my attempt to demystify the age of the algorithm, sharing my learnings and those of other leaders to understand how they are using or being used by the data and algorithms that seem to run a lot of our personal and professional lives. I must confess, Slaves to the Algo does not attempt to portray our future as either dystopian or utopian. It merely seeks to bring the use of data and algorithms more into our conscious thinking as individuals. And today, I'm particularly pleased to have Richard Tobakawala, a strategist, an author, an educator, a business leader of great prominence with 40 years of experience helping people, organizations, and teams reinvent themselves to remain relevant in changing times. He spent four decades at the Publicist Group, an 80,000 employee firm delivering marketing and business transformation. What's particularly interesting for me is that like me, Richard is a person who I think started off as a right brain person in the world, old world of advertising, but was one of the first to actually adopt data and digital as the future nearly 20 years ago. And since then, he's launched a series of initiatives within the group and outside as well. Richard also is the chairman of the Tobaccawala Foundation, which helps over 10,000 people gain better access to health and education. Rishad, uh, welcome to the show. Delighted to have you. Thank you very much. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for inviting me. So, Rishad, I always like to start the episode by kind of uh, starting over a slightly more personal level, right? We're all affected as professionals in the technology industry, whether it's marketing or financial services or travel. But we're also affected as individuals by the developments in data and AI. And one of the things I like to ask is, uh, there are always these algos that have kind of really impacted us, you know, something we feel, hey, wow, they made my life easier or frightened us. You know, I am really scared by what, you know, something recommended to me. Can you share some examples of some algorithms that you've seen that really impacted your life? Sure. You know, so the, the algorithms that have helped my life become better. And I'm going to use common ones there versus common ones, meaning ones that people have access to who have understand them. So not things that are exclusive or special. And I'm gonna to try to keep it as global as possible, though not every one of these are as global as I would like them to be. But where they have been of great advantage is in things like the recommendation engine of Amazon, the recommendation engine of Netflix. Uh, I do believe that both of those, while they are optimized to increase engagement or increase sales, have provided values by showing me either, uh, you know, things where I can spend my time watching television or, you know, movies, or what products or services that I could potentially purchase that other people like me have purchased. And what I like about those, it's very clear what they are doing. They give me the choice. I can decide whether I want to do it or not, and I can go on. So those are ones that are positive. Again, I'm selecting things that are obvious or easily available because in most parts of the world, some form of Amazon or Netflix with the exception of maybe China is available. The two that I am a little bit more concerned about, uh, and again, this has nothing to do with those companies, but I've had some issues obviously with the leadership of those companies, but nothing with the companies, is the algorithms that like a Facebook uses, okay? Uh, which basically, or many social media companies use where in my case what they basically end up doing is they socialize that what what they basically do is they co colonize my mind 
they make me start to believe that, and it's not just them, it could be parts of like Google search, et cetera. So, I mean, you know, if not Google search, but when you click on, let's say the Google search tab and it's optimized to you uh, with something like Google news, those things are built to basically make you feel really cool about yourself, make you feel that your flatulence smells like Chanel 5, make you feel that you are the center of the world, none of which are true, none of which are true, right? And, and I think the world is beginning to understand, and you've seen that recently with the most recent results from Meta, that that doesn't make sense. So I like algorithms that expand my world. I do not like algorithms that basically minimize my world. One of the wonderful things about talking to Rishad is that, you know, in that last line, you summarize what I think the beauty of the algorithm is and what the yes. danger is. The fact that they're supposed to expand it and not shrink it and the yes. filter bubbles that we are forced to into is that. And we'll come back to, I think, some of these examples uh, as we go through that, because I think this is really the essence of what this show is all about. Uh, but I'm going to start with actually um, um, an insight. I mean, you wrote a wonderful book. You called restoring. You called it restoring the soul of business, saying human in the age of data, and that is such a again such a pithy title, right? I mean, it is the age of data, but we've got to find a way to stay human. And you talk about the fact that it's the people and the and the platform, the fact that you need the tech and the talent to make transformation work, right? But if you look at, for example, one of the examples you use, Amazon and Netflix. Sometimes don't you feel that it started off as a wonderful thing to expand your choice, to help you actually find the right things for yourself. And then suddenly the business imperative takes over and then they are like kind of spewing a whole bunch of things at you. And, yes. um, you know, John Kim was at our thing says that, you know, at some point the business model takes over the algorithm. So what's your view about how do you actually stay human in the face of data? How do you actually make people do the right things with the data and the algo? So I think there are three perspectives that I think I bring. They're not necessarily unique, but very few people combine these three. So I wouldn't say they're unique, but they combine these three. So the first one is a sense of optimism about what science and technology brings. So I am very positive about the future of the world, the future of science and the future of technology. So I'm not one of those people who basically believe that the laws of gravity are bad and I will tweet about it. I kind of accept that if I jump out of the window, I will die. Whether I tweet about whether I accept gravity or I do not. And part of my basic belief is science and technology has helped us today with something as simple as if you don't believe in science and technology, please do not use your bathroom, plumbing, do not use electricity light. Now, are there downsides of electricity and downsides of plumbing? I'm sure there are. But on the other hand, overall, they're optimistic. So I basically am optimistic about technology. And I don't even have to go to healthcare. The fact that, you know, 25, 30 years ago, if you got a diagnosis of cancer, most of those cases ended with very quick death. That's now a minority of those cases. So so one is I believe I'm very optimistic about technology, which is the first thing. The second is I'm very optimistic about human beings. So there are people who are very optimistic about technology who basically believe we're going to live in a world of singularity and it would be better if silicon replaced carbon. I like carbon. I'm ca I am carbon. 
right? Like I remind people, I like immigrants. I am immigrants. I don't care if you don't like immigrants. Everybody in the United States is a goddamn immigrant. Get over it. Okay. So I like human beings. And the reason I like human beings is because human beings are stories. And technology is math. And as you know, I have an advanced degree in math. I have an MBA in finance. I know something about data. And so my whole basically, I love technology and I love humans. So why can't we say and or plus versus or? And to me, so my third point, which is, which is somewhat unique, is I'm pro-technology, I'm pro-human. I'm pro-optimistic on technology, I'm pro-optimistic on human. My third is, if you combine them, it's difficult and it gets messy, but that's what life is all about. Mm-hmm. So what people keep trying to say is, let's keep it clean or let's keep the technology away. And my whole stuff is if you keep technology away, you don't have electricity. And if you keep it completely clean, you got this weird singularity world with no emotion, storytelling, or emote or love. And my whole basic belief is remember this, machines do not love. Machines do not understand loss. And the truth of the matter is machines learn a very strange way. They learn backward while human beings imagine forward. And that's just such a wonderful thing. And, you know, uh, every time I talk to you, we come up with these, you come up with these really simple ways to summarize the world. Machines look backward, human beings look forward. And uh, one of the other things that you kind of talk about a lot, Rishad, is the fact that uh, the future is for companies that believe uh, in another one of your pithy sayings, the spreadsheet plus the story. And, you know, it's basically there is math and there is meaning behind the math, right? And how do you actually bring these two together what you talked about emotion plus like, you know, the rationality. So can you give us some, some examples? I mean, in all the companies that you've helped transform of brands or companies that have successfully taken the data, but have actually also converted that into a story that, 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 that makes us relate as, as like consumers, as human beings. So I'll point to two, three, two or three examples, which are clients of the companies that I've worked with, but I may not have worked specifically with them. Uh, and I'm going to basically take, talk about, uh, like, let's look at one company. Today, the company that is the most valuable European company in the world, interestingly, and who, along with probably competes with, depending on what the stock price of Tesla and SpaceX is, with probably with maybe with Musk and also Bezos as the richest person in the world, is a gentleman from Europe who is the primary or a majority owner of LVMH, which is Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy. And Louis Vuitton, the man is a amazing deal maker, highly driven, Bernard Atoll is his name. But the products and services he puts out there are called Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, Tiffany, Sephora. So what he has done is he's used math and he has sold dreams. Now let's, and that's the math in that, I mean, the dreams I get, but where's the math in that? That's interesting. The math in it is the way he makes these acquisitions, the way he runs his supply chains. Let's look at Apple. 
Look at Tim Cook. He's a logistics expert, right? But the most expensive computers, phones in the world are Apple. They don't talk about logistics. They don't talk about how wonderful their underlying technology is. They basically talk about creativity and dreams and stories. And they charge the most expensive prices, which are nothing compared to the value that they deliver. And that's the, the issue, which is you need the math and the machine and the data to run a business. You need the storytelling and the dreams and the emotion to ignite people. And every smart company does that. Here's a big difference. United and Southwest, I mentioned those in my book, right? Fly the same plane, same airport, same FAA rules. How come one has gone into bankruptcy twice and once never lost money till COVID-19. So my basic belief is anybody who tells me it's all about the data, I say the fact that you were born proves to me otherwise because your parents didn't do an ROI because on a financial basis, you don't actually work. You are a fool. You wear a watch. Why do you wear a watch? It should be done on a phone. Do you have a car besides the Toyota Camry? You are a walking embodiment of bullshitness when you tell me it's all about data. On the other hand, if it's only about emotion, then you basically have madness. You basically have just religious fervor without any form of enlightenment. So you need both. Yeah, I love I love the thing that there's no ROI on children out there. That's 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 revolutionary. But uh, I have my own favorite example of this, Vishal. I mean, for me, a great example of somebody who's told a, when they started a great story uh, with a huge amount of math underneath it is the Google search bar. The simplest story. Type in anything you want, and I will show you a window to the world. You can find it all here and behind yeah. it is a huge amount of math in that search engine that went into it right and and i think uh, in some ways uh, that's such a great thing but you know you rishad you've seen a couple of revolutions right you were there the, uh, literally the dawn of the um, um, time in the media industry when the when data began to be used and in your formula when you say a b c d e of reinvented marketing the d stands for data and uh, how did you work with companies? I mean, you come from an industry which is fundamentally like, you know, people thinking creativity, brands, emotions is what drives everything. And you had to convince them that whole digital and going into data was the future. Uh, and can you walk us through, maybe just give us some of those, the craziest examples so, that you've seen. Sure, so the, 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 it's a very simple thing. What basically happens is I truly believe, and as you know, that's the tenant of my book is people, and as you mentioned, it's the story plus the spreadsheet and the math plus the meaning, right? So if you think about it fundamentally, what tends to basically happen is at its very hard, I would show people two things at the same time. And I remind them right now. So right now I'm spending a lot of time and people say, what are you spending your time on? So I'll go back to your question, but I'll explain it to you with how I'm spending my time to tell you that you know, as someone who's now 62 years old and doing the 75 minus 62, I got less than 5,000 days here in this math. It may make sense to understand how I'm spending my time, right? And I'm in a fortunate position where I do not have to spend my time to optimize for financial outcome. Not that I don't care, but, I, but that's not the main thing. And as, earlier parts in life, different parts of life, different parts of the world that has sometimes has to be important and often is. But okay, so I'm gonna spend my time. 
So my stuff is A, the future of marketing and media, because that's what I'm known for. The second one is the future of talent and work, because that's what I care about. And the third is I always want to know, like, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So I'm trying to figure out this Web 3.0 thing. Okay. And I'm in this very unusual position that senior CEOs of companies are paying me to teach them about something I don't know when I tell them I don't know it. And their whole stuff is go, I'll pay you to go figure it out and explain to me what's going on. Because when you come back, you'll talk in English and your answer will not require you. That is such a wonderful compliment in okay. some ways. So their whole stuff is you will come back in English and whatever your answer is, we don't have to buy you anymore because there's only one of you and you're useless. So we understand that. So that's over. So if I go to any other company, they'll come back with an answer, which may not be in English, which will require them to be hired to explain to me what they just told me. Right. So what was that? That was basically a very unique combination of that, those two things. But when I started to think about all these things, including the future, what I began to understand was the story that I would basically tell people today in Web 3.0 is no different than the story I started with the digital age. So when I started the digital stuff, I grew a company. And then by the time I had grown it, we had the dot-com bust. My company had zero layoffs. We were growing at 30% a year. For two years, we were flat. So we didn't go like this, but we were flat. Why was it? Luck was probably it. There were two other reasons. One is I selected clients that were not dot-com clients because I was suspicious of dot-com clients. But the other is I had one simple chart. And the chart was I showed QQQ, which for the people who are listening to this is the NASDAQ index, right? Which had gone up to 5,000. You know, today it's 13, 14,000, 14, depending, it's, it's very erratic. It had gone up to 15, but 13, 14. It got up to five and then it had crashed to 1,000. So I showed that and I said, if you build your future of your marketing and media on QQQ, you could do that. But here's what I would suggest that you build your future on. And what I showed them was broadband penetration of the internet. Nice. And I said, this is what human beings are doing. This is what financial markets are doing. So today, because I happen to be very bullish on Web 3.0, which I explained to people is very different than metaverse, is very different than cryptocurrencies and very different than NFTs. Okay, and in my book, I actually talk about it before people talked about that three point. I call it a third connected age, right? So I said, let me show you, here is the price of Coinbase, here is the price of Bitcoin, and let me show you what is actually going on as people basically want, including musicians and everybody else, want control over their own destiny. And that becomes a story. So the story is technology enables humanity. Humanity does not enable technology. And that's what people don't realize. Okay. So the reality of it is that here's a big difference between Mark Zuckerberg and Sergey Brin and Larry Page. Let me tell you what the difference is, which most people don't understand what the difference is. They're both amazingly sophisticated individuals. They're both amazingly rich. They're both amazingly wealthy. And both of them basically, all three of them have more mental processing capacity and they've got a finger than you and I have to gather in our brains. 
but there is a difference. And the difference is that Mark Zuckerberg spent years trying to learn Mandarin to get into China. And Sergey Bring and Larry Page left Russia. Hmm. Could you explain? That's an interesting one. They decided they didn't like the Russian way and they decided there was going to be no Google in Russia. And everything that Mark Zuckerberg tried to do was to get Facebook into China. That tells me fundamentally one person thinks people and then technology. The other person basically thinks technology and then people. And that's why Facebook will never recover. Well, because in effect, it's run by its controlling weakness. Its, shareholder, its CEO is its controlling weakness. The controlling shareholder is the controlling weakness. And today it became clear with this 25% decline, what I've been saying for a long time, the guy does not have humanity in him. Okay, and I think that's and kind Tim of a Cook great does. And my whole stuff is if you, if you take Tim Cook, if you take on Tim Cook, and you think you're gonna win against Tim Cook and Sergey Brin, and Web 3.0 with your current impoverished team, forget about it. So that kind of is a prescient thing. I did not engineer the stock collapse last uh, yesterday before I did this podcast, but it's kind of, it's kind of, well, we're just going on to the Facebook thing just a little bit, right? And I think uh, I've said this for a while that, you know, when the Apple move that is more about, you know, privacy and not tracking people, uh, the rising concern for ethical use of data but the fact is that you know you had a you, you had a moment in the last one week where Google's advertising is uh, you know people need to advertise, Google's going up, but you know Facebook's going down. And my question really out there. And by the way, today if you notice, Amazon went up and Snap went up. So what is this thing about? Is there actually a reward for using data responsibly? Because they all seem to be using data and they're all misusing data in some way. So what is this connection about between the use of data, using it to add value versus your own um, growth as a company? So the, the, the best way I look at it is there are three things that are happening today. So the way I describe the future of the web is, and the reason I'm working very hard with boards and CEOs of companies is I said, I'm coming to you not to talk about the price of Bitcoin, crypto, or NFTs because it's the same thing as like NASDAQ versus broadband penetration. I believe Web 3.0 is a philosophy first and a technology second. That's how I start. Web 3.0 is a philosophy. I said, let's, let's look at everything that Mark Zuckerberg said in Meta. It's basically, he is trying to basically do Metaverse with Web 2.0 technology. The days of command and control and centralization are over. Thank you very much, move on. The philosophy of Web 3.0 is COD or DOC. I call it DOC, DOC, right? D is decentralized slash democratic, democratic. O is open and C is composable. Composable basically means like Lego pieces, okay? In that particular world, the power is going to go increasingly to the maker and the user rather than the aggregator. It doesn't mean there won't be centralized, there won't be aggregation, but the power is moving. 
And is this and just another the, it, progression on the whole user-generated content? But who makes it's more than user-generated content. You, you, when you have a history, when you have a history, the, the reality of it is that today people are basically recognizing we're moving into a creator economy. You know, as you probably know, I, I wrote yep. this thing called the creative age, and people said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "We're living in a creative, a creative economy. Companies like Snap and TikTok are attracting all the creators, right? Facebook." You see, one of the things I follow, what people don't realize what I follow is I follow one simple number. You know what the number is? Where's world-class talent going? That's it. Nothing else matters. Where does talent go? When you begin to have hemorrhaging talent from Facebook slash Meta slash Instagram, my stuff is they have seen what's happening. Look at the depth of talent today at Amazon, Google, Snap, TikTok, Coinbase, and the depth of talent at Facebook. This whole meta thing is a slate of hand to get engineers. I, I get and, that. So, I so my, my whole stuff is, is, is all this, this technology event comes out of people. And we refuse to understand that it's people who write code. No, absolutely. And people have values. And if your values don't sync with what the firm's doing, you will, you will vote with your feet. But Rishad, I'm just going to come back. I mean, you know, we had this whole thing about we moved away from traditional content that was produced by a few people to this trend of user-generated content. But what happened in the user-generated content is that people started to, um, I mean, a few aggregators made money of the fact of my Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so that's the way 2.0 problem. So that's the web 2.0. So here's the big, big problem with the web 2.0 problem. The problem with the web 2.0 is web 1.0 turned out was a philosophy that became web 2.0. Web 3.0 is web 1.0 philosophy with web 2.0 technology. Okay. So web 3.0 is very much basically about that. I will own my own data at the extreme. I will own my data. I will be able to monetize my content. Obviously, there is a role for aggregators because of simplicity. But here's the big thing. The fight that right now is happening in the United States between Spotify, who is doomed as a company, doomed. Wow. Okay. Wow. Right? Wow. Doomed. Okay. okay. Because I have now understood that they philosophically do not understand what business they're in. Okay. And 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 and, and the reality of it basically is. They have, are basically saying, I'm going to take all the money from the people who, from the artists and pay it to the Joe Rogans of the world. So I, I pay these people pennies, I'll pay this person $100 billion. These people are saying bullshit. So that's the reason for NFTs. That's the, so people are going to SoundCloud, people are going to Bandcamp, people are going to Apple, right? You saw what happened to their stock price. And that is basically what people are recognizing. We do not work for the man or the woman. As now as an independent person, I'm basically telling you the technology is mine. The data is mine. The content is mine. And the days of 2007 to 2022 are done. Right, that done. Is, that is both exciting and extremely scary if I was sitting in a company and trying to say, what's my future? because uh, your future you is attracting and retaining talent and being fair to people that's your future your future is about purpose and values your your purpose is about attracting talent so they that they tell your story through your company your company fits into the story of their life 
It's about purpose, values, meaning, growth, and freedom. It's no longer about supplication. That's the whole thing. The, the reality of that's the thing that's, that's the change that's beginning to happen, which most of these people don't understand. The reality of it is most of these Web 2.0 people, right, were much more mercenary than all that came before, using all this bingo jingo about the web. You know, Rishad, this is a, this is a, this is a podcast about data and AI. And, you know, it's uh, what's been fascinating about this particular episode is that we've talked so much about people and people being at the core of this whole thing. And um, because people write the algorithms, I keep reminding people, people write the algorithms. If you have basically a look, if you have a face recognition program in China and a face recognition program in America and one in India, they recognize different people. So don't tell me it's the data. I never believe it when people say it's the data. I said, who wrote it? And that that there's a whole bunch of things. We've done some interesting episodes with people which talk about the uh, what do you call um, the ethical use of data or how, how you actually call explainable AI, right? And one of the guests on the show, Rishad, that is a very interesting thing. He said in the 70s, when he grew up, he's slightly older. He said, food products never had labels on them. Today, whether or not you read it, you would not trust a food product that didn't have a label. So he says, every piece of AI is going to have a label saying, this is how I arrived at the conclusion, right? And the explainability. Uh, interestingly, we had another guest on the show uh, last year, and he talked about the fact that uh, Culture is the algorithm that runs your company. And that's exactly what you're saying. There is a culture that you build in your company and that becomes in some ways an algorithm because that determines the way people interact with you and that determines the way you interact with the world. Make no mistake, Mark Zuckerberg is a very smart man. Meta is a very fine company. Why did he do all these things? Because he was not attracting talent. The reality of it is, five years ago, every engineer wanted to work at Facebook. Today, less than 45% of the job offers to engineers, they accept. And after today's stock price decline, it's going to be 25%. Okay? And the reality of it is, the biggest disadvantage the man has, and he's brilliant, is everybody world-class around him left. Look at the board of Facebook five years ago and today. Ken Chenault, all these amazing people are not there, right? So the reality of it is if business is about people, it's about talent, it's about vision, it's about purpose, it's about emotion. The math is available to everybody. That's, um, it's such a startling, Simple and it's something that we all knew, but we seem to have forgotten. We have uh, forgotten. We've forgotten. We, we idolize these people. Come on, the guy's gonna die. You're gonna die. I'm gonna die. Get over it. He farts. You fart. I fart. Stop it. <laughs> I love that one, but Rishad, I got a dissolution. You know, you talked about right. you got 13 years left. I'm sorry. You re you should read the book, The Hundred Year Life. The data shows that you will live likely to be a hundred. So please I'm start hoping. planning for I'm 38 hoping. years. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, but, but here's what happens is that all of these gentlemen and all these companies are remarkable. You know, we are like big speaks of the thing, but what I'm trying to get a lot of people to remember is do not follow these people because some of them are talking BS to you, right? And in the end, remember this, when you are goddamn dead, piles of money are not going to stand around your grave. People are. That is, again, such a wise uh, thing to say. And, um, you know, 
you talk about the resume was the eulogy virtues so this is really about that but uh, i'm going to come back a little bit into the data side right you've seen and you've talked remarkably uh, lucidly about this all web 3.0 and the doc construct as you kind of see i mean a lot of people every i'm going to come back to the idea of data right everybody in this world uh, is this third connected age what do you call that but data connects data you have 5g ar yeah. vr all this stuff right and we've had people on this podcast from completely different verticals banks fintech healthcare edtech research where do you think the future is going to be created the fastest so i believe the future is going to be connected fastest when you have a um businesses that are highly data driven many of the almost every business is very data driven but some businesses are more data driven than others so clearly the financial industry is one that's more data driven uh travel industry is another one that's more data driven uh so that'll be one place the second is as someone who grew up outside the united states i believe wow. that many of these things are going to take place in asia that i pay a lot of attention i'm like joining boards and boards of advisors in asian companies uh in a few years it'll be africa but right now it is asia that 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 will basically be a big place um and the third area is where there are significant benefits where you actually give somebody the ability to really improve their life so you know the example i use is the impact that geo had in india so geo broadband had in yep. india right uh that was pretty pretty significant i think the impact that geo had in india or what mobile phones had in africa more significantly improved people's life than facebook did for people in the united states okay and and so you know in in, in the end my basic belief is that the reason i'm so bullish on some variation of web 3.0 is primarily because it is going to distribute control and power to the people who use the world and people who create for the world so you can get very wealthy and obviously there'll be obviously intermediaries and there's a lot of you know fist fights going on now between the jack dorsey's and the adrees and horowitz's and everything else but that's like a side show my basic belief simply is is that the original belief of what the web was when it came out in 2003 and the vision that Tim Berners-Lee and others Tim Berners-Lee should be given like every goddamn Nobel prize that there is Absolutely. I'm surprised he has it right so I bid a I bid a million dollars for that first piece of code on the NFT and I didn't get it <laughs> like you know so so people and, and and people like that so my underlying basic belief is that the the ability of machines and ai and other things to uplift the next billion the next 2 billion people into better lives or all 7 billion people into better lives is pretty enormous so i think it's going to have its greatest impact in asia it's going to have its greatest impact in companies that are driven by data mm -hmm. and it's going to have its greatest impact in companies where people realize the future is about math and meaning mm -hmm. and you know when i grew up in india uh i remember my father would say there are three r's and three m's and he said i'm going to try to teach you three r's and three m's unfortunately i learned three of the r's and two of the m's and he tried to 
do the third M and unfortunately everybody told them I was untalented. So what are the three R's, three M's? The three R's were reading, writing, and arithmetic. If you remember, right? So yep. reading, writing, and arithmetic. So I learned how to read. You can see the books. I got an advanced degree in math. So you can say, okay, I, maybe the arithmetic, fine. And I wrote a book. So let's pretend I know how to write. And I write the substack. So I got those three done. The other three were the higher level, which was math, music, and metaphysics. Mm. Okay. And metaphysics was philosophy. I think I got that. Math, I think I got that. They tried to teach me the violin and piano and the teachers told them I didn't have any <laughs> talent. So I listen to amazing music, but I can't play it. So clearly you are a fan of the book, The Golden Braid. Yes. Uh, yeah, okay. So that's and the topic all those books, for another day. And they're, they're, they're all connected. And you know, I would say that the biggest thing, the reason I, the thing that I keep thinking about, I have some optimistic, which I, you know, I don't want to say negative about anything, and including by the way, we are better off today because of companies like Meta or every company. We're better off today than we are better. But at some particular stage, it's almost like I pity the person who runs Meta because no one has given him good advice. Not no one has. He refuses to take good advice, right? The guy could have built this amazing company, but somewhere he lost the way, right? And now he's gone into a place, but the problem is here's what's happening is he's lost the one thing that matters. And the one thing that matters is this amazing fusion of data and emotion. You know what that word is called? Trust. That's such what a wonderful trust? thing. Trust is data and emotion. Absolutely. And I think, um, again, a lot of interesting people on the podcast have said that, right? I was talking to John and he talked about the fact that, I mean, for example, for me, the Google search bar has lost meaning today. I've lost a bit of trust because yeah. if I go on that and type something and I'm seeing seven ads, I'm like, I got a problem with this. It's right? not even seven ads. The whole, the whole thing is full of goddamn ads. And 40% of the mobile stuff sends it to Google stuff. Yeah. Right? That's and, again, you know, and that's why those clowns have, have flown away. You know, Paige and Bryn are voiceless and flying around. You know, it's like, what happened to you people? At some stage, was the money so much that you lost the plot? This is the problem. I always basically say, if you follow the dollar as the star home, you will lose your way home. That's, again, you're a man of many nice sayings, but I like the three things that you described, Asia, data, and people who have math plus meaning. I mean, it seems to describe Crayon perfectly. So that's a topic for another day. So it it does. And by the way, you'll have a fantastic name when you think about your data company with art. Thank you. Thank you. I think you're one of the people who would appreciate that. Uh, but Rishad, in closing, as you look at this whole thing uh, about uh, Web 3.0, which is clearly where in some ways the future, though everybody's talking about it, it might take a few years to, to actually become uh, real. Um, the fact is that data is at the core of Web 3.0. Yes, but it seems to me that the ownership of the data and the fundamental rights to exploit that is going to be the one big difference between what's come in what you call 2007 to 2020, to what's going to come in the future, which is it is my data. Yeah. And, you know, before we started Crayon and Shrikant and I talked about this, I actually wrote this thing called my data for me. Why do I produce the data and somebody benefits? So it seems yes. to me that that is going to be the big revolution 
where I own my data and I give other people the right to use that data to benefit me. Yes. And the companies that do that are the ones that will- Will work, exactly, exactly. So we're still gonna have three types of people, right? We're still gonna have people who create, people who consume, and people who enable. And what happens is sometimes the same person will do all three. Right. So I could be a creator. I could be a consumer. I could be an enabler, but there'll be right. So it doesn't mean there won't be great companies built on this new age, but it's companies who will enable versus companies who will extract. So and I think that's a that's a critical difference because the enablers, these many of these companies in the last era started off as enablers. And they became extractors. Yeah, and there's a great thing. If, if you go to A16Z, which is the Adverse and Horizon yeah. website, and people sometimes don't like that company, and there's a big fight, as you know, between various people. But you should read Chris Dixon's thing on Web 3.0. And it, basically, you start off by trying to attract people, and then you extract from them. Right? And the word that nobody uses is, is enable. If I'm enabling something to you, you don't mind paying me something. I'm not, I'm not using you as like some sort of like fungus. I'm saying I'm going to make things easier for you. And in a very interesting way, the most enabling web 2.0 company would be something like Airbnb. And the most very good extracting, example. the most extracting companies are things like, uh, you know, Grubhub. <laughs> okay. So a Grubhub doesn't work in a web 3.0 and Airbnb works in a three, web 3.0. That's nice. And probably the subject of another thing where we should pick yes. some winners and losers on the next podcast. In exactly. The and, 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 and that also sort of surprises people that like as a writer who's like an old guy who doesn't understand anything, I still am thinking about these things. It takes, it takes a little bit of meaning and wisdom to add meaning to math is the way I would put it. Absolutely. Uh, but thank but you for this opportunity. Absolutely wonderful to have you on the show and to hear so many nuggets of wisdom on this. And um, I know to all my listeners and viewers, it sounded like a little bit of a rant about the uh, the Facebook thing, but I think it reflects some of the concerns that many people who live in the world of data and AI have about how data and AI has been both used for good and for bad, you know, and I think to some extent what I, with the wonderful big takeaway for me from this whole session with Rishad is, it is really up to human beings to say, you know, data is neutral, it's a reality like gravity, AI is, can be neutral, but it's up to human beings to decide whether we want to make it utopian or dystopian and hopefully the utopian uh, end wins uh, as we go forward rishad it's been a pleasure having you on the show and uh, thank you very much for coming on this absolutely and thank you for the opportunity and to my viewers and listeners thank you for listening to us today slaves to the algo is available on youtube spotify google and apple podcasts not yet on meta we release a new episode every fortnight sometimes more frequently if you really like this episode, don't forget to like, share, subscribe. And remember, we're not over COVID yet. So mask up, stay safe, follow the science and stay relevant because we are in the age of AI. We do not want to be a slave to the algorithm, whether it's our own or some other companies. And see you all next week. Thank you.